we truly live in a golden age of superhero depictions and media. Now, of course, I'm not trying to say that these depictions have never existed, but it's kind of hard to compare Captain America in the 40s. Get your hands up, Matt. Or Captain America in the 90s. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Captain America and Endgame. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the new stuff is always superior. I'd rather watch Richard Donner's Superman over Zack Snyder's. Batman 89 is still my favorite Batman movie. And as much as I love Far From Home, Spider-Man 2, the original Spider-Man 2, is still one of my favorite movies of all time. My point is that today there are hundreds of YouTube channels that will analyze every frame, every second, every piece of art, any little tidbit we have about the upcoming superhero movie or TV show. It's truly part of the cultural zeitgeist, unlike any other time. Now, yeah, large amounts of this is purely social media, which had existed in the 70s or 80s. I'm sure you would have seen similar videos for the original Superman or original Batman. But that discounts how Marvel has truly reshaped the way we consume superhero media. Before, you'd get standalone franchises that would have several year gaps in between the movies, and no crossovers. You know, we never got to see Christopher Reeve's Superman fight with Michael Keaton's Batman. You also wouldn't get to follow the same actor's portrayal of the hero for nearly as long. I mean, look how many movies Robert Downey Jr. was in as Iron Man. Compare that to three Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans and two Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Was. There's four Superman movies with Christopher Reeve, not two. No, no, there weren't. There were just the two Superman movies, and no more were ever made. Come on, Wasp. We both know that you know that there were four of them. Jacob, help me out here. Let me ask you. Oh, I'm sorry, Andrew. I'm actually too busy doing my all-bionical remake of 12 Angry Men right now. I'm glad you see it my way. So that brings us to the topic at hand today. Who wants to be a superhero? Airing in the summer of 2006, this quaint little time capsule of pre-MCU superhero-ness aired on sci-fi and was hosted by Stan Lee himself. The premise was to take a group of everyday people and to see who was worthy of becoming Stan Lee's next great superhero, with as the show's intro sums it up as... The last hero standing will receive the one prize money can buy. Immortality! So I could just sit here and discuss the show by myself, but what fun would that be? No, for this episode, I must gather the greatest heroes ever assembled by a reality show. What the hell is that? Now live from their own fortresses of solitudes, our heroes. First up, Tonanzin Mondragon, a.k.a. Lumeria. Hi! Next up, we have Mary Voltava, a.k.a. Monkey Woman. Thanks for having me. Chris Waters, a.k.a. Major Victory. Hey, hey. Thanks for taking my call, citizen. Nell Wilson, a.k.a. Fat Mama. Hey there. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and last but not least, Matthew Atherton, a.k.a. Feedback. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, heroes, I'm glad you saw my signal. Actually, you reached out to me on Instagram. No, you 
you messaged me on Facebook. Um, no, you reached out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, no, Fat Mama gave me your phone number. That was a poor financial decision in retrospect. Anyways, the heroes are here to provide us with some much-needed behind-the-scenes secrets and some much-needed context for... Mm, well, you'll see. So let's start at the start. Well, actually, before the start of the start. So how did you come up with your characters? It was a nickname that I had from my teenage years. I've always been really good at climbing trees and my best friend in high school and I would climb up trees a lot and end up clambering on rooftops and getting into all kinds of trouble. And so we sort of acquired the nickname Monkey Woman. We actually called each other Monkey Woman. So there's another Monkey Woman actually out there. Um, it's my, my BFF from high school. And so when I saw the casting call for who wants to be a superhero I got really excited I'm like oh this is perfect like I've always thought monkey woman would be a fun kind of like cheeky silly superhero um and so I just built out the character and um you know turned her into more of a superhero so I have an, a cousin who was um getting chemo and he saw the show the advertisement for the show and he was like, oh, you love comic books and um, you've directed and, and you've acted and you've done, you know, you've, you've written, created stories. This is for you. And I was like, what? No, no, it's not. And he was like, yeah, yeah, you, you write costumes. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you should do this. So I was like, and this was when reality show shows were start, first starting out. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. He's like, I'm dying. Uh, and this is like my favorite cousin. It's like, oh, okay, great. It's like, no, I'm not doing it. He's like, no, seriously, I'm dying. And he's like, I'm, I'm doing chemo. And so um, we started, I started writing it and then I would go to him and, and kind of go through um, kind of the ideas I was, I was, I was coming up with because I was using a lot of actual myths, a lot of South American myths, Central American myths and Mexican myths, which is, you know, where I come from. And, and we wrote it together while he was going through, through his chemo. And the week that I got into the house, he went into um, mission. If you want to know how this all really started, I was um, a male dancer and there was this director that came and he got my number and he said, hey, can you jump out of a cake? And I, I it, it was for the New York Film Festival or something like that. And I would guess I was a stripper and I was going to jump out of a cake and scare this older lady and she dies. And then the, the last scene is she's being wheeled out. Uh, and I'm just shaking my head like, oh, great. We lost another good one. And so I developed this relationship with this director. And then he goes, hey, I really like what you did. Can you be this comic book hero for this music, this uh, music video? And so I became this Captain Victory. He came in, he gave me this whole suit. Right after this video, I saw a casting call for this show, Who Wants to Be a Superhero? And I read that and I go, wow. And when I put on that uniform, I just felt like I was that character. I, you can't really explain unless I guess you're an actor or maybe something that you just put something on and it just feels like you. It just felt organic in every sense of my being. And I became this character. And when I saw that casting call, I said, I got to do this. And they called me right in. And that's how it happened. I, I came into this casting director and it just felt so good. It just felt right. Every answer I gave felt great. And I was vulnerable with my daughter about that whole thing. And it just felt right. 
it felt crazy, but it felt like it's something I should do. Um, well, my character was put together by me and my kids at the last minute. <laughs> my um, daughter um, likes to do social media and stuff. She was kind of young, man. And uh, so she was telling me they was having auditions for this show with Stan Lee. And um, you had to come up with your own superhero. So I said, well, I'm fat and I'm a mama, so I'll just be fat mama. <laughs> so my son ran in his room and got his Batman cape. And I had a little leotard when I went for that audition I just put some donuts around my waist and his Batman cape on and we made up the song overnight that's why it was so ridiculous <laughs> the song we just was sitting on the couch saying stupid stuff putting everything together and so when I went to audition they just loved it and they loved the song and that's pretty much how the character was created well you may have slapped that together quickly but that song is still stuck in my head 15 years later so thank you for that well, people like to be able to laugh. And like with my character, I wanted people to be like, accept themselves the way they are. So I know I was fat, so I made fat jokes. And, you know, some people are real self-conscious about eating and stuff like that. So that's why I always say, I'll take your food away. <laughs> so we just kind of created little funny words to go in, into the song. Actually, it was uh, my, my wife at the time, uh, Sarah, who had said, well, why don't you do something with video games? And I thought, okay, maybe I can make something work with that. And uh, so I, I took her idea and um, kind of said, well, you know, how would the powers work? And then I wanted to come up with a reason to wear a superhero costume. So the idea was uh, that um, the superpowers that the character has would kind of wreak havoc with technology around him unless he wears the superhero suit. So that's kind of the like a containment suit that uh, allows electronic devices and things like that to work around him. So I wanted to work that into the story so that he wasn't just a guy running around in tights. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it kind of went from there. And I thought, wow, this could be really cool because uh, if it were to go somewhere, then you could introduce characters to or introduce kids to things like new video games through something like a feedback comic book. So every comic book you could have, you know, say uh, a new video game or an old video game or, you know, just kind of tie in a bunch of those things together. And I thought that would be a really fun way to to have a relevant superhero um, that uh, that had relevance, you know, today. Well, now we're into the first episode proper and we begin seeing all the hopefuls auditioning for the chance to be on the show. And holy shit, is that Diana Prince? But for distraction purposes, I like to fight topless. And I want it to be made perfectly clear, I only know her from the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs and nothing else. Moving on. So what was the audition process like for you? Yeah, well, the funny thing is, so the, the actual audition process was like four different auditions and interviews. I mean, the first thing I did, I think I filmed myself on on videotape at the time and sent it to the casting company. And then they had me come in for an in-person audition. And then there was another interview with the production company. And then um, they finally did like a psychiatric evaluation and all kinds of different, like, yeah, like lots of different layers of audition and interviewing for the, for the show. And then finally they said, they, they had us cast, but then they had us show up at the big, like you see in the first episode, the big open casting call. Um, and they had us like show up there to participate in that. But the casting, I think at that point had all been done. Like, I don't, 
I don't think they were like looking for any new contestants at that point. I think it was more just to, you know, kick off the show with a, a bang and, you know, see lots of different characters and, and, you know, I don't know if the rest of the people that showed up for that big open casting call had gone through the entire process also. Um, but I know that, yeah, we had, we'd already been cast and picked for the show by the time that rolled around. So um, yeah, it was pretty involved. You kind of, you went in a couple of times, but you mainly went in and you went for an audition. Like you didn't see any of the staff that you see that we saw there. We, if they have different people interviewing you and femme and stuff, and then I guess they look at it, you know, but then they had a big audition day where everybody, you didn't know you were picked or anything. You know, you were invited back and they had a big open casting. And um, that day, they filmed us and asked us different questions and stuff. And um, even then they didn't tell you if you was actually gonna be on the show, but the audition was pretty much the way you saw it. People were lined up waiting to go in and you got more time than what they showed and then they just yeah. edited it from there. When I first got in there, when, when I first was told that I was picked, I was like, at first I was kind of embarrassed. I'm like, oh my God, now I have to go on TV. <laughs> Because I really wasn't expecting to be picked. I was just clowning, like I'm going to Price is Right and different little shows and, and auditions. So I really wasn't expecting to get picked. So when I did get picked, my first thought when I got there and got out of the car, I'm like, oh my God, now I really have to go through with this. So it was kind of overwhelming, but at the same time, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, they gave you a bunch of wristbands and I was like way down on the list. I wasn't going to be able to see Stanley at all. Because he was only going to see the people that had like a red wristband. And mine was like, I don't know, purple or orange or something. So a bunch of the TV cameras came in. And uh, they, what I noticed is that everyone was, the, all the cameras like for the late show and stuff like that, they wanted to get a, a shot of all these people in all these crazy costumes. And, uh, and they would go around and they'd talk to like three or four people and say, okay, stand here. And then, uh, and then as soon as they went over to another three or four people, like these three or four people would like stand in their pose and then they go talk to another three or four people and there were hundreds of people there. These other three or four people would start milling around and they, they didn't hold in their position. And I noticed this shot was gonna be impossible for these people to do unless everyone worked together. Uh, and that was where I realized, oh, this is that moment that I was looking for. This is that moment where I could help the production company and help all the camera people and help all the heroes be on TV and get all their costumes shown. So I just yelled out, heroes, we need to get a shot with everyone, you know, lined up. So, and I kind of put myself in the middle and everyone kind of moved back. And I said, so everyone create an arc right here. We'll have the cameramen start over here and come this way. And then once the people in the front, once they do it for the people in the front, you'll move to the back. The people in the back will move to the front. And then I, um, you know, so I, I went to the back and got in line and then everyone listened and they lined up. And then all the camera guys were looking at each other going, perfect, that's great. So they all did the whole thing where they went by and then they did the other. And then I said, okay, everyone switch. And everyone listened and then everyone switched <laughs> and then then the but then I went back and did it the other way these two people came up to me uh like seriously maybe two minutes later and they said um we need your wristband 
And I thought, oh my God, what did I do? And, uh, and they had a red wristband in their hand and they took me into a room and uh, they, uh, they said, okay, so tell us about your hero. And I thought, oh, okay, I didn't know we were doing this. So, but I had this red wristband in my mind. I'm thinking, okay, something's going on here. I guess I got bumped up to the beginning or to where I would actually be able to see Stan Lee. And they asked me about the hero and they're like, oh, great, this is great. And, uh, and then they said, okay, well, that was great. Are you available next Tuesday to do a, a callback to come back and, and we want to we do uh, more taping and, and ask you some more questions. And I said, sure. And then they said, okay, well, here's the, here's the sheet. Just, you know, tell us your name and your time. And I thought, oh, wow, they've gone through this so many times that they've used up a whole sheet because this sheet is blank. There's nothing on it. So I was thinking, okay, I must, I must be in that area where you fall exactly at the end of one sheet. And, and I wrote my name down and, and all that stuff. Well, it turns out there were only two people out of 300, out of all of those people that they ever considered from the open call. It was, it was basically just a big uh, publicity stunt. They, didn't, they had already had their cast. They already planned on their cast. And that was just basically for the cameras and for the publicity in the late show and, and to get some more footage for the show. But they'd already kind of cast a bunch of people ahead of time. Uh, and then it turned out that I was an alternate for the show. They, they, they called me and they said, well, we don't have a space for you on the cast, but we'd like to know if you'd like to be an alternate. If someone drops out for some reason, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. Um, and then it turns out that someone did drop out. And then uh, I didn't find that out until uh, the day before the show started. So everyone's been cast and they arrive at this beautiful LA mansion where each of the heroes gets to, you know, introduce themselves to the audience, I guess. Sadly, though, one has a terrible secret. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I used to be an exotic dancer. Which okay, fine, it's not that horrible, but he might as well have confessed to being a serial killer for how much they keep bringing it up. But, again, we'll get to that later. Anyhow, the characters get to know each other and, you know, start to party. Unfortunately for them, the human buzzkill Stanley apparently doesn't like superheroes partying. Hold it there! This is serious business. Don't you realize what you're there for? We're looking for the next superhero. I've spent my life creating superheroes. They don't act like that. No one shows Stan an issue of the boys. After that, the heroes are sent to the actual secret lair. Okay. But before they get access, we find out the first task's actually already begun. There happens to be a spy amongst you. I've enlisted the help of one of my assistants to infiltrate your group. You see, I've got to be sure that all of you are here for the right reasons. Rodiart, spelled backwards, is traitor. I've had all of you on tape since the very beginning. So basically, Rodiart had a camera hidden on his costume. So hidden you could actually see him somehow from a different camera angle. Basically, what he found was that the Iron Forcer is too violent. So you can choose when it goes out. Yes, depending on each person that I want to kill. Creature is basically too focused on sex. I love the, his body. Okay. I love your body. Yeah, these are pretty bad, but they pale in comparison to what Levity's sin is. Levity... 
Well, I make uh, custom action figures. Do you make yourself as an action figure? Yes. So this is kind of a clever way, like you become an action hero on this show, and then you sell action figures of yourself? Yeah, kinda, yeah. Yeah, who would be so evil to use superheroes to self-promote and make money? We're in the money, we're in the money. We've got a lot of what it takes to get along. We're in the money. Also, side note, isn't Spider-Man's sole income coming from selling pictures of himself? Kind of weird. Yeah, here's where we start seeing cracks in the show form. One, basically the idea of the superhero is limited to the Silver Age. They have no sexual desires and no flaws whatsoever. Two, and more importantly, is the show doesn't really know where the line of these are real people with real jobs ends and canonically these guys are superheroes begins. And we get a lot more of these horrible decisions moving forward. So this is just an appetizer. So basically because Levity, a.k.a. Tobias Trust, in his free time makes these beautiful custom-made superhero action figures, he's the first to go. You can see the annoyance slash disappointment on his face here. Like, oh, really? This is how we're going to do this? And it's really sad because, like he said in his intro... I think the reason why I like superheroes so much is because I grew up as an outcast. I have a partner. His name is Michael. We've been together for 10 years. There are a number of gay comic book characters, and I think that if I actually won this, it would be a great role model for a lot of kids out there. You can tell he's a true superhero fan, and it's a real shame that he's painted like this greedy scumbag, because he is trying to create a superhero that can be a real-world hero to a group of people that are still underrepresented 15 years later. There's not an A-list gay superhero like Superman or Wonder Woman. So it's a real shame he gets kicked out this quickly over something stupid like this. If there is an upside, though, he has gone into bigger and better things, being a producer on things like Bob's Burger, Gravity Falls, and Final Space, so at least there's that. So the main task for the episode is for the heroes to change out of their street clothes, into their costume, and run to a checkpoint in the fastest time. Some heroes, like Feedback and Tyveculus, are subtle about it. Others, like Monkey Woman, change in a manner befitting their character. And some, like Nitro G and Cell Phone Girl, are less conspicuous. I was really careful to make sure that nobody saw me when I was changing. Much like the first task, not everything is as it seems. Right before the finish line is a little girl who is lost and crying for her mother. Basically, the speed and costume changing weren't the real task, per se. It's willing to be able to give up the win to help someone in need. In the end, Fat Mama, Major Victory, and Lumeria and Cell Phone Girl were the only ones to stop. So when did you realize the little girl was the actual task? And in the case of Monkey Woman and Feedback, how'd you miss her? I actually, I was a mother, and my son is like, at that time, he was like five or six. So I actually just like saw the little girl crying and I stopped to say, oh, what's the matter? And then as I'm taking her, you know, away, I and they said a little section of security and stuff over there. Then I kind of thought as I went, you know, and took her in there and the people said, okay, you can go finish, go finish running. And I went on and ran on off. Then I knew exactly what it was before I got to that finish line. And so while I was one of the ones in the back looking and the other ones come back, I was like, I know he missed that little girl. 
because <laughs> they were so into looking at yeah. what they looked like and their muscles and you know stuff like that that they ran right by but no I did actually see that little girl and think that she needed help I have a daughter right so it felt like oh I could you know connect and the little girl it was it was, it was a sweet moment going to any park like it's noisy it's outdoors there's a lot of people like talking and there's a lot of noise like I never heard, saw, had any inclination or like, like any indication that there was like a little girl in distress. Like I, there might've been like the sound of kids screaming in the background because there are at every park, like kids playing and like, but I never heard that specific girl or saw her or looked in that direction. Um, I was pretty like when I'm focused on a task, I am like laser focused and there can be fireworks going off around me and I won't notice. So I was like in it to win it, to get to the finish line. And there's like anyone that knows me too will be like, oh yeah, like there's no way Mary would notice something like that. Like she's completely like oblivious in general. And if I'm like focused on racing and winning, yeah. <laughs> well, my, my nickname before I was feedback, I was Captain Oblivious. And, uh, and that was a moniker so well-deserved. And, you know, you, you think you know what something is about. You think you know that this is about, oh, it's about changing into your costume without anybody seeing. And it's about doing it in a super heroic style and like running really fast and, you know, getting there on time in this competition of, yeah, I can, uh, I'm someone that someone could imagine as a superhero. And then, you get to the end of it and you realize, okay, that's not what this is about. You've got people that are in high heels. They're not going to be able to go fast. And everyone who ran fast, everyone who went fast missed it. And, and I, I kind of blamed my costume at one point because I like the way these, um, yeah, like the belt is a scuba belt right for weights that you would wear and i like the color the blue and the black the problem is that they're not real pouches they're designed to hold weights well i had had these straps that i had put inside there and if you look and you slow it down you'll see that right as i was running the straps on my left fell out of this scuba belt and so my head act she's over here and my head actually turns this way as i look at the straps hit the ground and then i go right back to running so those straps actually fell out like right at that point. And, but it's the best thing that could have happened because it was the first challenge. A bunch of people missed it. So I knew I wasn't going to go home for that. Although I didn't know in the beginning that I was not the only one who had missed it. I thought everyone else had gotten it. I'm, I was going home because I completely missed it. Um, but that taught me a lot. That failure initially taught me a lot about how to change my strategy, which was Whatever image that I had in my mind about what the show would be about or could be about, that's not what it was about. I needed to be present and look on a deeper level as to what was going on around me. So we're now at the main elimination round on the roof of the lair where everyone stands up on these lit up boxes and much like earlier, three are nominated for elimination and brought forward. First, Nitro G is up because not only did he miss the girl, he also chose a terrible spot to change, basically revealing his identity to all passerbys. Monkey Woman also missed the little girl, but seems to have looked over in her direction, indicating she saw her and chose to ignore her. Though, looking at the footage, I don't see it. So, Monkey Woman, is there something here we're missing? I didn't see her. Um, I think there was someone else that looked over in that direction. I remember them going like, oh yeah, someone looked 
looked over in the direction and like, but it wasn't me. It was like one of the other contestants. I just don't, I don't know. Like, so I think like they got the footage confused and thought it was me, but it wasn't, it was, I was just, yeah, I was just running. Yeah. So that's a great sign. We're already rigging the game in episode one because, oh crap, we don't have enough people doing this spectacularly bad. So got to throw monkey woman under the bus, I guess. Speaking of which, who do we put for the third slot then? Iron Enforcer, of course. Yeah, he's just kind of put up there and Stan chews him out for no real reason. He didn't do anything worse than any of the other people who were safe, so basically they kind of needed a third person to be up there and he drew the short straw. Regardless of this, though, he is safe for now because Nitro G was eliminated and we conclude episode one. So right off the bat in episode two, it's by far the most difficult task we'll see in the rest of the season. Yeah, front half of episode two, and it's all downhill from here. Weird way of doing that, but okay. So the general premise for this task is that the heroes must cross this backyard that has two German shepherds in it ready to attack them to be able to allow the little lady who lives there back in after she locked herself out of the house. Pretty big step up from, you know, changing your costume and rescuing a little girl. So... What was this task like, and were you concerned going in? It kind of made everything real. Like they're they're really gonna um, test us here. They're gonna yeah, they're gonna test us on this particular one. They really put these German shepherds on us, you know. And it was in the valley in Los Angeles. It was really hot, and we're in these suits. And the one thing I remember is there's all these NBC lawyers that were everywhere, and you go oh. They're really going to do something. Something's going to happen. They're like worried about this, you know. So what? And you're hearing them kind of concerned, and and so I really had to step back and say, how would Major Victory talk about like getting into character? How would Major Victory do this? And I and because a lot of the different characters were like, how am I going to negotiate this? Because these dogs are going to attack you. What do you do? And then I was up on the thing, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to love these dogs. For what they're trying to do, they're trying to do their job. I'm gonna actually fall in love with these dogs. And that's I'm you know because it, it's like oh my god, I'm gonna be attacked by a dog because this my reaction is to run the other way. But what I said is I'm gonna give these dogs a hug, and what that really ended up saving my butt because one dog grabbed this arm, it knocked me back, and then the other dog grabbed this arm, and it actually cut my balance. So when I caught him like that, I was able to actually hold him up. And I felt like, okay, I'm going to give you a hug, but we're going together this way. And so it just, you know what, it was kind of nice and serendipitous and it worked out. It was just a, it was a great feeling. And then I could take my helmet off and go, how's my hair? And then make it kind of funny and playful. I was like, at that moment, I'm even like right now, I'm very fearless. I'll do stuff. And if, if my whole thing was when I was there, I'm like, okay, they can't kill us because we're on TV. They, you know, so that stayed in my mind. So I'm like, we had, when you got dressed and you had all that quilted stuff on, at one point, I was like, okay, they can't really bite me. So I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to run and do it. Now, what I didn't know was as soon as those dogs hit you, 
it felt like a truck hit you. I didn't think it was that strong and that they would be able to knock you over. I thought I was going to be able to run and do what I'm doing and make it to the door. And they might be, you know, snapping at me and stuff, but they can't get me. So it's kind of like, ha ha, you know, jokes on you. But when them dogs hit you, you kind of felt the pinch even through there. Some people even had little bruises where the dogs grabbed. So you felt the pinch, but you felt the power of those dogs knock you over. There was nothing that was going to keep me from reaching the door. Because in my mind, I had calculated that, you know, these dogs are going to get tired. I am not going to allow myself to get tired. And I would never give up. I mean, I would, I would have, I was, I wouldn't care about production. I wouldn't care about them running out of tape or video or anything like that. I don't care if you have to cut and let the dogs take an hour break so that they're back to fighting shape. And then you're going to have us go back and do it again. But uh, yeah, there was absolutely nothing. I was like, I'm not going to get killed. You know, I'm, I'm in protective equipment. There's no downside here. I'm just going to accomplish this. There was no alternative. The, um, the situation where you had the attack dog, because that was a real attack dog. Dealing with that dog in stiletto heels was a little harder than the saving the kid. I can imagine. That was a great lesson because I didn't tap out. And that was the first time I ever said, they're like, oh, just say it like this. And I'm like, but I didn't tap out. They're like, no, just say this like this and like this. And they cut things together. So it sounded like I tapped out. The reason why I didn't win that challenge is because a dog ripped off my helmet and I still didn't tap out. But they said they couldn't put it on there legally. Were you mad at that? Did you want to try again? So, so what happened was I, that, you know, so the, the whole thing gets pulled off. You know, my, my helmet gets pulled off. And the first thing I was like, let's do it again. You know, because that's just kind of my personality. Like, okay, we can, let, da, 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 let's, let's go shoot this thing again. They're like, the dog might bite you. I'm like, let's just give it a try. I'll jump on this fence. I've never had a dog attack me. This is fantastic. You know, I don't know. Like, it's kind of an adventure. And, and definitely, yeah, adventure is a big part of, of um, I guess, my lifestyle. Um, so, and then, so they're like, okay, we'll, we'll do it again at the end. And then we get to the end and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go again. And like, no, 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 well, well, you know, there's no time. And I was like, what, 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 because, you know, I, there's, a, there's ego. You want to prove to yourself, I wanted to prove to myself like, oh yeah, you can really, you can go toe to toe with a very large Alsatian. Not really, like I have dogs now. I'm like, now, now as an adult, I'm like, mm, or as an older adult, I might be like, okay, maybe when the helmet comes off, I should have stopped. So ultimately, Tybeculus, Major Victory, Feedback, and Monkey Woman were the only ones to successfully pass the challenge. Side note on Monkey Woman's performance, everyone else either completed or quit the task in less than a minute. She took almost 10 minutes of the dogs dragging her, attacking, biting, and all that around the backyard without giving up. So Monkey Woman, did your nomination in the first episode light a fire underneath you to do whatever you needed to do to win this task? Well, I was so determined to make a comeback from the little girl challenge that I was like, okay, I don't like, no matter what happens, I, I'm just not going to give up. Like one quality that I have is persistence. And so like, if I can bring anything to this, it's like, I, I'm just going to wear the dogs out. Eventually they're, they're going to give up as you know, I'm, I, I have a goal in mind. Like they, they will eventually give up. So that was part of the, that was part of it for me. Um, the other part was like, I knew I was safe. I mean, it hurt the pinches and bites in the bite suit, but um, I knew they were very well trained to not go for like my neck or kill me or anything. It was, you know, just, just 
you know, wrestling with some well-trained German shepherds and <laughs> um, trying to make it to the door. But like I said, I was constantly thinking like, okay, there's gotta be a twist to this. Like it can't be as straightforward as just wrestling two giant attack dogs in a bite suit and getting across the yard. So the whole time, I mean, I was still like, all right, I'm gonna go forward as though this is the goal, but I was still worried the whole time. I'm like, like, am I missing something? Is the, the little old lady that we're supposed to be rescuing, is she like actually up a tree somewhere and I, I'm supposed to notice that or something? I remember literally being pinned down by two German shepherds that each weighed as much as me thinking like, what's the secret angle to this? Are there like dog treats in the yard that I'm supposed to find and feed it to the poor angry dogs? Like, this is the kind of stuff that was going through my head because <laughs> I was like so paranoid from after the, the little girl challenge. For this elimination round, Creature is nominated for constantly laughing during the task and still giving up. Iron Enforcer for literally getting within arm's reach of the door and giving up. And then Cell Phone Girl, who lasted only four seconds before giving up. Stan really chose the trio out on this one. Though, as we're about to see, though, there are pretty good reasons for Iron Enforcer and Cell Phone Girl's failures. What he tells me is that, well, like, he's, even though he's got a lot of muscles, you know, he's not really very strong because it's all about building the muscle mass, not real strength. And he was worried he was going to pop his arm and then not be able to lift and not be able to keep his physique. With Cell Phone Girl, first, a little background on her. They tried kind of painting her as a spoiled valley girl, really. You know, and I'm sure being the second youngest hero at age 22 and having a cell phone theme when they were not nearly as commonplace as they are as today didn't really help the perception they were trying to shape. In episode one, they show her being really the only one upset that they were leaving the mansion. And in this one, they ridicule her for having a headache as being the reason she quit. In an article I found with Cell Phone Girl's alter ego, Chelsea Weld, she explains that she was prone to stress-induced migraines, and considering the size of the dogs, combined with the fact that she's been attacked by attack dogs previously in her life at age five, a migraine was induced, and you can see she's clearly not in the best physical health to compete. Add in the fact that the padding probably weighed more than she did, and for some goddamn reason, they made her still wear her high heels, it's easy to see why she gave up so quickly. Again, this is just another example of the premise not being clear. Are these real-world people in costumes who have real-world human constraints, or superheroes who should find this easy? Regardless, they just tear Cell Phone Girl a new one, and she finds that she's out of minutes. Remember when cell phones had minutes? Anyway, she's eliminated. The next task, I think, is a costume makeover. Some are great, as you'll see, and some, well, you'll see. Iron Enforcer pretty much just gets a stripe on his leg and some silver knee patches. Monkey Woman's fur bikini is traded for a less distressed version. Meanwhile, Creatures and Major Victory's costumes look more polished versions of what they already had. Now, the true winner in the costume redesigns were Lumeria, Fat Mom, and especially Feedback, whose costume looks like it had a lot more money put into it, and while keeping the original theming intact. So what was it like seeing these costumes for the first time? And in the case of Feedback, why do you think the stops were pulled out for you? Oh, I was, it was just mind blowing. I was so excited just seeing the like professional redesign and the, the brighter colors with the yellow. It was just so much fun. Uh, so that was, that was kind of a, a little, you know, nerd dream come true to get your superhero costume fashioned by an actual Hollywood designer. So that was awesome. You know what it was? God, 
that oddly, I have a bad memory, but I can tell you really clearly. So I remember they, you know, they blindfold you, you're in makeup and you go through the whole thing and they take off the blindfold. And I looked like a comic. I was like, wow. I felt like I looked like a, a one, di- not one dimensional, but it looked like, I looked like a comic book character. It was really, really trippy. I was like, oh, this is, this is your, your version of what you, of your, of this, I guess, this character but it was really clear it was like oh i look like a comic book character it was really it was cool it was a little bit like oh this is how you see me but the other part is like it, the, the super nerd like fangirl in me was just like oh, this, is <laughs> this is really cool because i i am ultimately a big dork and i was like i look, i'm i'm a comic book so it was pretty cool the the neat thing about having someone else design something for you is that you get to see their perspective, something you you really maybe couldn't even imagine uh, your your yourself. Uh, but then when that when they put the costume on, it was all one piece. So you know I I was blindfolded, but I would feel them kind of like put it put it on over the legs, and then and then just the sound and the um, the temperature of it kind of as it came up. And then put my arms in and then it kind of folded across and then they would zip it up in the back. And the first thing I thought of was, I'm never going to be able to get this costume on myself, <laughs> you know? Uh, but you know, all these things are going through my mind. And then, uh, and then when they did the reveal, you just think about how much effort, you know, people went through to, to do that for you. They, they, you know, cut the fabric, they spent time with the sewing machine, they, they designed it, they, you know, created something and you're kind of wearing like a, a piece of artwork um, and so I'm very grateful that they spent the time that they did but so another little secret is because I was an alternate that changed things for my costume so the costume company was originally given a certain budget and they said we need you to make costumes for all these superheroes with this amount of money um, and so those designers had to work on all these other costumes. Mine was not there. I was an alternate. Mine didn't exist yet. I, they didn't know I was going to be the alternate or on the show until the day of. So they only, so they had to work very, very quickly. And because they thought I, I did such a good job on my costume, they had to raise the bar a little bit. They got like $3,000, I think. I think it was three. It might've been seven. I don't know what it was, but they paid a, they were paid a lot of money to come up with just this costume uh, because because it was in like a second tranche of, of funding and everything else was going. I'm like, okay, well, we've got this guy, this other person dropped out. We need to get a costume done. And then they were like, yeah, but it's going to be so anticlimactic if we give him a costume that's not as good as, as his regular one. And so they dumped more money into it. Now, you may have noticed I haven't included one hero yet, Tyveculus. Now, before I show it to you, I should say his original costume was awesome. The best out of the bunch, to be perfectly honest. And actually, it's a lot better than some of the redesigns we see of the other heroes. So with all that said, I will say, in fairness, topping that was no easy task. But, well, here it is. Again, though, feedback has some behind-the-scenes secrets that kind of explains this baffling decision. I did so many conventions with the original costume that uh, it was falling apart. And so I had to go and I went back to the original person who made that costume and asked them to make me a second one. Uh, And so 
they, I had quite a few conversations with the costumer, uh, and um, yeah, those are th that wasn't done on purpose. That was just funding. Like they just didn't have the money to make something better than what he already had. But I know that what they wanted to do is like one of the things that they needed to do was open up his face. Like they wanted to see more of his face. And that helmet, you know, really cut out a lot of his face. You only got to see like a little bit, you know, like this. And and so I think their directive was open that up. And then they had like the comic book art that had been done where he's like this centurion with like the feather thing in the on the back. You know, and they're trying to do this out of foam instead of like a real helmet. Um, and I think that's a that's a hard, hard thing to do. Um, but the regular parts of his costume, you know, with that that they remade with the little dangly bits, I can't explain that. Yeah, basically because of a budget cut and an already existing mock cover, the costumers really had their work cut out for them on this one. Though as we see here, when Stan is unsure about the costume himself, Tyvekius just flat out lies and says he loves it. Wow. I don't know. That's not exactly the way I had envisioned it. What do you think, Tyveculus? Today, my fantasy's been fulfilled. I am a superhero. No. By the source of light, I am Tyveculus. Yes. I love it, sir. Well, I'm glad you're pleased, Tyveculus. The other heroes, however, are a lot more honest with their opinions on the costume. Yo, yo! <laughs> Do the chicken dance. <laughs> One of the more surprising jokesters is feedback. Tobaculus' costume looks ridiculous. <laughs> Look at that thing on his head. It looks like a big giant fan. Tobaculus, right now, you're Stan Lee's biggest fan. What are you talking about? You don't like it? So what was going through your mind on this since you're kind of the whole pure-hearted superhero? You know, uh, it was it was stupid of me. I was trying to be funny. And, and uh, I think um, I think that's what happens a lot, though. I This was kind of an important lesson and one that I think resonates with a lot of people. You know, in a way, it's kind of like what a bully would do, you know, where they, they make fun of someone or the way that someone looks. And they're, they're trying to make other people laugh or even make, you know, and, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't, that's not my proudest moment at all. I thought I was being funny, but really, um, I wish more people would not try to be funny and, and just be more sympathetic, you know, for, uh, to other people. I think, um, I think I could have handled it very differently. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't. Uh, big, big failure for me, but hopefully a good lesson for the people that watch the show to, to know to react differently. Well, this leads into the elimination round where feedback is nominated for his comments. Ty Veculus for lying to Stan, though that did result in him getting his old costume back for the remainder of the series. And Iron Forcer for, I don't know, not looking great in a costume he has no input on. That's literally what they say. Luckily for feedback and Tyveculus, Iron Enforcer is sent home just for, I don't know, he technically did fail every task in some way and has been on the chopping block every time, but again, some of these are pretty unfair. As we soon see, though, in this totally not staged ending, Stan says, 
You make a lousy superhero, but you make a great supervillain. You can help me test your former competitors to see if they've really got what it takes. Yeah. How would you like to help me make their lives extremely difficult? I would love it. Can I give you the makeover you really deserve? A supervillain makeover? Sure. Good. Life for our superheroes is about to change when they meet my newest creation, the Dark Enforcer. Now this leads into episode three, where he's revealed to the group. Mr. Supervillain, what do you think makes a good arch nemesis? Maybe it's a guy who's been shot by other people. Maybe it's everyone's favorite punching bag. Maybe it's me. The Dark Enforcer. <gasps> what is this? Oh my god! None of you deserve to be on this show. I'm taking every one of you out. So did any of you know that one of you could be coming back as a villain? Or was this just a good role for him to fill? No, I I knew there was... I remember him saying something like they talked to him about like he wasn't... he After his elimination, like, oh, don't worry, you're not going to be off the show. So I think we we had some kind of like inkling that there was going to be like some comeback and he was going to, you know, I think, I don't know, there was a rumor around someone that was someone in the cast was going to end up coming back as the bad guy or being turned to the dark side or some, some, something of that nature. And then, yeah, I think after his elimination, he was like, Oh yeah, they told me like, not to worry. Like you're not going anywhere or something. Um, I didn't know it was going to be him. I had a feeling during the beginning of the show that they were going to have one of us be a bad guy. They even asked me uh, in the beginning, would you be a bad guy if you were asked? And I said, no, major victory just wouldn't. He just wouldn't change. He just wouldn't be the bad guy. So I'd say no. Um, I didn't know it was going to be the Iron Enforcer, Iron Enforcer, but I did feel it was going to be one of us. I didn't know it was going to be him. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he's going to come after me. <laughs> Because I was always teasing them and saying stuff, but you know, just clowning them and stuff like that. And I kind of thought that, um, I kind of thought from the beginning, I knew that when he came back as a villain that they planned that from day one, because we was all like, what kind of superhero would he be? And how do you think killing people and shooting people would keep, you know, make you a, a hero or something? So when he came back as a villain, we all was like, okay, that makes sense, you know? So that was probably planned from the beginning. But my main thing was like, oh no, he's gonna really be after me when it's my <laughs> turn to do something. Cause I would laugh. I couldn't even take him serious because he looks big and mean, but he's like that little teddy bear, you know? <laughs> so I think it was funny. I actually thought it was funny later. Now for the first task of the episode, the heroes are sent to a restaurant to order a meal so they can show their choice to Stan. Of course, though, as we've now seen, the real task is hidden. As they wait, each hero is approached by a waiter or waitress who tries to get them to reveal their secret identity. My name is Ty Beculus. What is it? Ty Beculus. Just call me Ty for sure. Ty. What's your real name? Ty Beculus. No, what's your real name in every day? With the exception of Fat Mama and Feedback, every hero gives up their name at one point. 
This seems pretty obvious, you know, not to reveal the secret identity under any circumstance. So why did you do that? Yeah. Uh, I didn't even, you know, at that point, I didn't even think about like that angle, the secret identity, I guess, cause I wasn't really immersed in comic book, uh, culture and stuff. I kind of was vaguely familiar. I just love the TV shows and, and stuff like that. But yeah, looking back, you're saying, oh yeah, secret identity. That's very important. It kind of got past me that that was something, the angle that they could be looking for in this particular one. They got past me on that one. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I guess what happened and again, like this is me like being paranoid the whole day. Like what's the trick to this? And like, it never occurred to me in like all my, you know, overanalyzing and thinking about like what the, what's going on with the challenge and what's the trick of the day. Like never occurred to me that, you know, superheroes aren't supposed to give up their identity. And that could be like a test that would come up at some point. Like it just was not on my radar. I hadn't like thought about that as like a potential hazard or challenge that could come up in the course of the game. Um, and we'd been, I like, I remember just hearing from Stan, like superheroes are supposed to help people and are supposed to be like, you know, caring and helpful and, and honest and like all these things. So I was, I was thinking, okay, like I really need to step up my game of like being honest and helpful and look for opportunities to help people. And, and so I was kind of like in that frame of mind going into the challenge. And the first thing that happened, which they never put on camera is as I was walking to the diner and all the cameras are following and everything, I see this homeless guy pushing a shopping cart across the street. And so like, I'm like, got it. Like we're supposed to take our, our lunch money and like go give it to the homeless person and offer him our lunch. Like, obviously this is the challenge. So I was like stoked. I'm like, I got this. <laughs> and so I like run up to the homeless guy. I'm like, excuse me, sir, you look like you could use a, a free lunch. Like, can I, can I offer you some, some lunch? And, and like the, all of a sudden, like the production crew was like, stop, 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 like cut, cut, stop rolling, like cut the cameras. And they're like, okay, like, no, 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 we got to like go, like, you're supposed to, you have to go to the diner. Like, don't talk to that guy. And then, and so then I got even more paranoid. I'm like, okay, now the test is I'm supposed to stand up to the production crew and like, fight for this guy's lunch. Like they're, they're really putting me in the challenge. I'm like, no, this person need, and he was like, he was super excited. The, the homeless person who was, who turned out to be an actual homeless person. Um, he was excited because I'd offered him lunch and promised him he was going to get a nice meal that day. And so he was like, yeah. Um, and then, so the production crew is like trying to push me to go like get back on course to the diner. And I'm thinking like, okay, no, this person, like, I'm supposed to be, this is the challenge. I'm supposed to make sure he gets lunch. And so we kind of go through this, like, back and forth for about five minutes, at which, like, at some point, it gets through my thick skull that, okay, this is an actual homeless person. The production crew is, like, genuinely concerned, and they genuinely, like, don't want me interacting with him. But then I was like, okay, on a matter of principle, I want to make sure this person gets lunch, because I'm, like, a human being to another human being. I'm not going to promise some poor person who haplessly wandered through a production and then was offered a meal. I'm not going to like walk away from this and just, you know, let him go on his merry way without getting fed. So I, so I'm like, okay, I, I talked to like one of the producers that was on the crew. I'm like, okay, can you please like 
I get it. Like, I'm not supposed to be interacting with him. Can you please make sure he gets lunch though? Like give him the, like part of the crew lunch or package him up something like, I'm not going to go away until I make sure that that happens. And then like we can move on with the filming. So they did, like they promised they're going to take care of him. And, and I was happy with that. And so that was out of the way. And then they're like, okay, we're back to the diner scene and I'm going back into the diner. And then at that point, like, I was like, all right, so that wasn't the challenge. So what the heck is the challenge? And then, so the, the waiter came up and introduced, and I was just kind of like, like oblivious at that point. Like, no, I was just kind of like trying to figure it out still. And the waiter came and introduced himself and I just was being genuine like, hi, and Mary, I think I said Mary, AKA monkey woman or something like that. Um, did not again, like never in a million years thought, oh, a superhero doesn't give up their identity. <laughs> like it just hadn't occurred to me in all my overthinking that that could possibly be the challenge. Now, while Feedback didn't give his name, there is a moment we never actually get to see that did change the outcome of the task while filming. I got, you know, the, the food that I ordered, I, I made sure that everything was recyclable. I didn't take any plastic or styrofoam. I asked for aluminum foil and did all that so that, you know, if someone asked me about my food choices, I could also talk about the recycling stuff and I wanted to eat healthy and, you know, be a good role model to kids to make good choices for their diet. But um, I didn't, you didn't see any cameras. And I, and there was, there was, you know, they, they brought in the cameras, like they walked you up to it and they're like, yeah, they won't allow us cameras in the restaurant. So you guys have to stay out here. And the guy, the camera guys, we're kind of like, they put their camera down and like, are you serious? And like, yeah, it's, it's dumb. But they're like, okay. So you saw these two camera guys walk in next to you and then they went away and you kind of, you did feel like, and you could see with all these other cats that were in there, you know, the other people on the show, it really did feel like you weren't on camera. So, uh, you know, so whether you were or not, I, again, this goes back to having the, the superhero thing on my arm. For me, it was kind of like living out a fantasy, like fantasy fulfillment. And in that fantasy fulfillment, if you're a superhero, you don't give away your your name, you know? Because it's not like, oh yeah, I'm on a reality show. It was kind of like, hi, this is my own personal dream and you're you're part of it and I'll let you be part of it in some way. But, you know, it's this is my dream that I'm living out here. And so I don't want to be someone who gives away my secret identity in my fantasy fulfillment, that doesn't make any sense. So that's really more than anything why I didn't give my name away is because it was, I was being selfish. I wanted to have that superhero experience. So uh, you'll notice something interesting about this episode. And that is that, um, yeah, I never gave my name, but I did tell the woman what college I went to, which was I went to Grinnell College. And because I had given that piece of information during the day of, you'll see it was only Fat Mama who went and got the trash can, not Fat Mama and myself. On the day, it was as though I had failed the challenge because even though I didn't give them my name, I had, I had mentioned like what college I went to. I think I said, she asked me a question like, you know, do you always dress up like this? And I said, oh, well, I used to dress up as Spider-Man when I went to college. And she said, Oh, where'd you go to college? And I said, oh, Grinnell in Iowa. So that was enough for me to technically fail that challenge on that day. But when the editors were trying to put everything together, they couldn't find 
any shot of me saying my name because I never did. And she was like, oh, come on, tell me what your name is. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a superhero. And, um, and because of that, they said, all right, well, then technically we can't have him lose this challenge because he didn't give away his, his name. And so that was one of the surprises of the show is that I actually uh, achieved that, that challenge on that day when I had thought that I had failed it. Even though I didn't give away my name, I gave away enough personal information where someone could have maybe tracked down kind of who I was. So Fat Mama in reality is the only one who actually passed the task. So was this just staying true to the character or did you sense something was up? Okay, now my son loves Stan Lee and loves movies and stuff. And we would go see superhero movies all the time since he was little. So I'm like, any of them that felt that definitely needed to go home because number one, you learned don't give away your identity. So when we went to the outside of the restaurant, they said, oh, Stan wants to see how healthy you guys eat. So now they got these cameramen that's following us around all day long with these cameras running. And so now when we go into this room, into the cafeteria, they sit their cameras down outside the door. So right there, I'm like, there has to be cameras somewhere, duh. So when I go in, there's a big old mirror to the side. I'm like, okay, there's a camera there, duh. So, so when the guy came up to my table saying about his son and stuff and what's your name and, and you know, are you pretend and this and that, I'm like, no, I was playing it up then for the camera because I knew good and well they was trying to get me to say my identity. But I, again, I had no idea that the other ones like took IDs out and did that. Because I was thinking to myself, are they serious? <laughs> so I just played, I did know on that one. That's where my age and everything else played in. Because I'm like, they have to be crazy if they don't know they was trying to get us to give away our identity. <laughs> yeah, I was prepared to see that this was fake because it just seemed so obvious to me with, you know, the secret identity thing. Also, the fact that Ty Veculus apparently carries his ID on him. Like, why does he need that? So why do you think all the other heroes were tripped up? And nobody told him to do that. They had no idea that he was going to pull that out. They had no idea what each of us was going to do until we got in there. And that's why I'm saying to you, a lot of that show was so good because it was based on your true character. And when you think you off guard, you do what you do. <laughs> when you think you being filmed, you do what you do. You know, so that was the thing is that once they thought, oh, they impressed the people at the counter. I ordered my food. I ordered this healthy dinner and all this stuff. And now let me go sit down. I can breathe. <laughs> you know. So the last thing they thought is this little waitress is going to be asking stuff because like the guys had a girl and the girls had a guy. So we had no idea that that guy was being staged, but I knew he was staged because he was asking too many crazy questions, you know? So, <laughs> so I just started saying stuff that I knew he wanted to hear. And that's basically why I got through, but I didn't understand why anybody else wouldn't have known that. So basically this is where the show's ruling and blurring of the line of real people and actual superheroes comes to a head and results in a BS elimination. Basically what happened here was the wait staff would come up and ask if this was for a TV show, which in of itself is fishing. I mean, when you're in a city like LA and shoots like this are a dime a dozen, this is a pretty real reaction to be having here. So when you're told you're off camera, you just assume, yeah, this is a real person asking about the stupid costume I'm wearing. What they should have done here is say, 
no, we can't take your superhero name for your order. We need your real name. Or, you know, hey, you're the millionth customer. We need your name and address to send you the prize. You know, something like that. Maybe you disagree with me on this, but this one has always rubbed me the wrong way. Now, what I don't think is arguable here is why Monkey Woman is eliminated. It, it's just mean-spirited. Is this for, like, a reality show or something? Okay. Well, where would I look for something like that if I was starting? There's three really good websites. Do you want me to write them down to you? Would you mind? That'd be great. Stan asks her how she could possibly know about these sites, and it's revealed that she's actually an actor. How did you know about such websites? Because I, too, am an actress. Perhaps the thing that upsets me the most is your saying that you're an actress. I've said from day one that all of you had to be here for the right reason. At the audition, you told me that you were a real estate investor, not an actress. But today the truth came out and I couldn't be more disappointed. Being a superhero shouldn't be a shortcut to an acting job. It's a way of life. So yeah, Monkey Woman, were you surprised that this was the route the show was going to take on this one, considering you guys were supposedly off camera at the time? Well, and it was, I mean, it was just super confusing too, because they, they, yeah, I do remember them making a big thing of like, okay, the cameras are off, you're off camera. And I'm like, well, they still have sound, like we're mic'd the whole time. Like they don't turn the sound off so they can hear everything there. Like I was fully aware that everything I was doing was still being recorded. Cause even if you don't have the cameras rolling, you got your sound capturing and, you know, so it wasn't like I thought at any point that I wasn't being recorded. I just had no clue. Like the challenge was about not giving up your identity. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of times in the course of production, as you know, like where they're like, okay, we're not rolling. Okay. We're rolling. Okay. We're not rolling. We're rolling, not rolling. So it just, yeah, didn't, <laughs> that one went way over my head. Okay, so yeah, we have established that a lot of trickery is to be expected in the majority of these tasks. Now, while this may be dipping over the line of what could be described as fair, it wasn't completely unexpected. That being said, what was your reaction to them going after you specifically for being an actress? Yeah, well, it kind of changed because initially they came at it. Um, I, I think initially it was... Um, you know, I'd been the first, I willingly gave up my name and then I gave the waiter my phone number. Um, and so that was like the first thing. And then I was like, no, it wasn't my phone number. I was, I was giving him, I was writing down like the name of act, acting websites or something. The waiter was asking me about acting things and I was trying to be a helpful person and a helpful superhero and, you know, give advice for a new arrival in LA and that all backfired as you know. And then we're standing there for five minutes, do, 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 twiddling our thumbs. And then they come back on. Okay. So turns out you're an actress and like, that's, so then that was the reason why. So it was kind of, it was like, I think I was, I was due to get eliminated that episode. And so it was just a matter of like finding the right reason, you know, the right combination of reasons or whatnot to, to kick me off the show at that point. Yeah, it was, I, it was, my number was up. Let's just say that. <laughs> I mean, I will say I do feel a little betrayed by this. I mean, how dare you be an actress while working on a TV show? Wait a minute, weren't you all actors? Yeah, I know. And that was the, the, yeah, I, I never lied about it. I, like I said, I was talking about it the entire time I was on the show. So there was like no, you know, there was no subterfuge going on about what my aspirations and dreams were. 
Um, but yeah, they, they needed to justify it. And, um, so yeah. So yeah, like she said, they really just needed a reason to justify her elimination and they pulled the actress thing out of their ass. Monkey woman, turn in your costume. So yeah, Monkey Woman's become the latest victim of an ever more confusing list of eliminations. As a kid, this really ticked me off, but how did the rest of you feel about this? She was such a sweetheart too. Yeah, I mean, that's what I talk about the fluidity of the show, Andrew, where it was, you just didn't, you didn't, they were almost trying to figure out how they were going to eliminate people. You didn't know how, they had some idea but it was very fluid. It could be this person or it could be that person. So, yeah, it could change at any moment, which kind of kept us on our toes. We had no idea. She was being helpful. And that that's what was so conflicting about that, because a lot of those people were, were actors. I had even, you know, done some acting, you know, in that. So because they wanted people with like vibrant personalities that they were going to be able to kind of work with, you know, that would that would pop on screen and do stuff like that. And um you know and a lot of and everyone else had had gotten that job you know through their agents so the next task has the heroes believing they are to be blindfolded to cross a balance beam between two buildings to rescue a woman in danger in reality they're actually just on the same roof and are in no danger of falling step down from the dogs obviously regardless though every hero completes the task so now with all of them having completed the task i'm sure the producers are like oh shit what next so I think possibly an impromptu task is created. What I want each of you to do right now is stand up one by one and in a superhero-like manner, tell me who you think deserves to be eliminated. You must consider each other's character, actions, and personalities. Creature, Lumeria, Major Victory, and Feedback all nominate themselves for various reasons, which, given the show's typical nature of having the tasks not being what they seem to be, is the correct answer. A real hero would fall on the sword and sacrifice themselves. Now, Tyveculus and Fat Mama nominate Lumeria and Feedback respectfully. Lumeria, let me tell you, your determination is outstanding. But there's one thing that you do lack that's called self-control. You lack the ability to know when to give up, when not to do something. You talk about your fear, your fear of heights, and that there was nothing that was going to come between you accomplishing and getting through it, even if it meant your life. Again, you have to understand your limitations. I didn't feel that you had that. And in that, you became a liability not just to yourself, but to everyone here. Therefore, Mr. Lee, my choice is Lamary. Feedback. My concern is that after every competition, he's so upset and he's so hard on himself and that at any moment he can snap. So I would pick feedback for his safety. Despite both of their concerns being you know, very genuine and coming from a place of concern, which I could argue is more heroic. I mean, you wouldn't see Spider-Man encouraging normal kids to go fight the Green Goblin. So getting people out of danger who are dangerous to themselves or potentially others could be seen as the truly noble route. However, the show, of course, frames this as the wrong decision. So Fat Mama, what was it like doing this nomination? And did you have a feeling that this might lead you to being in the hot seat? 
Yeah, no, I didn't even know I felt that one until we went up on the rooftop. I mean, because my thing was he asked a question. Now, from the beginning, I had already told them that I could go at any time. It wasn't a big deal to me. And feedback to me was like, one, he reminded me of what my son would be like when he was older. Now, my son at that time was young, and I could see him being as dorky as feedback was and wearing costumes at Comic-Con and having all this stuff. And so I fell in love with feedback in that way, like looking out for him as my own child. So when they said that, I was like, they're going to break this boy down <laughs> until it's just nothing left. So no, I definitely, when actually afterwards, they never, I don't think they aired that either, where I went off on everybody in the room. I told them, I said, you guys are fake. I said, <laughs> You know, so I kind of went off on everybody because I was still mad and angry at at the outcome of that elimination. And I'm like, you guys knew what you were saying. You only said take yourself because you wanted to win and stuff. I said, but you didn't really feel like that. So I kind of argued and fussed at the whole room. And, you know, I felt bad later because I'm kind of the type that if I see something and it feels something in my heart, it's coming out of my, my mouth, you know? So I definitely said what I felt and I wouldn't take it back. And I, and the same with Tybeculus. I think, not to say Black people are only the ones that do this, but we're raised in a way where we're a lot tougher. Yeah, we're expected to have this armor. So your parents already guard you because they know we're going to be discriminated against. I do it with my kids. You know something's going to happen. So as they little growing up, I have to teach them a certain way that don't talk back to people. If you get stopped by the police, just say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Whatever. To get through the day and stuff. So when we can let our guard down and we feel comfortable, we try to, but most of the time we're already guarded and stuff like that. So I think it's a part of my interior that I grew up. Also, I grew up as my kids with a single parent. I raised my kids. So I'm kind of the mother and the fathers. So I have to be both, you know, and it just makes you different. And your personality may come out a little harsher sometimes when I have to catch myself and say, okay, I got to be a little gentler and stuff. But looking at feedback, it was kind of like, I wanted to put his head on my shoulder and pat him like a little puppy and say, it's going to be okay. You don't even need to be here, you know, and, and stuff. Because he really wanted to be that whole show like that. And that was him. What you saw on him was genuinely him. I completely agree. Like I said, your answers were truly the noble ones because they came from a place of concern. You know, this is a game show. It's not really worth the danger, the perceived danger you guys were in. There was no prize. And I'm a fight over this. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing was one of the producers that at the end of the show, he came up to me and he asked me the same thing like you're saying. He said... I just really want to know, did you really feel like that? And did you, were you really willing to give that up for feedback and give up this, the, the, your spot in the show and stuff like that? And I looked at him and I said exactly what you just said. I said, what is the prize? I said, you guys said we live, we win. Um, yeah, you were winning immortality. Right, and immortality. I'm like, we're all going to be on this film. So we all going to win the same thing. <laughs> There's no prize. I'm like, there was no big prize. Now, if it was $100,000, you might have saw a whole different person come out of me. So the two of them are put up for nomination, and Tyveculus is the one sent home. Now, his departure is the hardest felt one on the cast so far, and it, it is kind of heartwarming to see how close they were becoming, that this all wasn't a cutthroat, knife-in-the-back kind of game. 
as a kid, this was the first cast member elimination that I felt bad to see. And it still does suck. Dude is a badass and a real-life hero being a firefighter. Again, much like the other eliminations, it really does show the highlight between this is a real world with real-world concerns and these are superheroes. And it results in another unfair elimination. <laughs> so, on the level with you guys, I truly did not expect this to become such a large project. You know, the heroes had a lot of great stories to tell, and there's a lot of weird shit in the second half of the season. So, in deference of time, I'm going to make this a two-parter. So, stay tuned and make sure you keep an eye out for the second part coming soon. Let me ask you, do you think the Matuan would shout so the whole island could hear him like that? He's much too bright for that. Bright? He's a common ignorant slob. He doesn't even speak Matoran very well.